Welcome, listeners. My name is Mariska Kestelo, and I'm the founder of Word of Mice. Today, it's already the ninth edition of our B2B Influencer Marketing Chat Series, and I am super excited to have a very special host. And actually, he doesn't need an introduction. Julius Solaris is the largest influencer of the meetings and events industry. I'm very happy that he could join us um, today a little bit later than normal, but I'm very happy to to have you in, Julius. A very warm welcome. And um, yes, I would like the brief introduction, but actually you don't need a brief uh, introduction. So um, could you share something about a little bit information about yourself? I'm Julius uh, Solaris. I'm uh, the editor-in-chief of EventMD. Um, part of uh, Skift as of uh, September 2019. I do um, add all our content uh, for NTMD and programs for events and uh, yeah, whatever goes into NTMD usually starts uh, for me. Um, I started the blog uh, 13 years ago, which seems quite a lot. Um, feel old saying it, but yeah, that's that's what it is. Um, and um, you know, we've been covering um, especially um, event technology, event trends, um, and whatever it's new um, to the industry, whatever it's um, new and up and coming. We try to give it uh, coverage, as well as um, our mission usually has been to make uh, clarity among confusion. And uh, technology has been probably the most confusing topic for event planners for a while. Probably we're past that now. In the past three months, we've had a lot of confusion. So I've been clearing a lot of that, trying to at least. Um, and um, yeah, you know, that's that's uh, what I do. I'm based in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm uh, Italian. Um, so yeah, that's, that's it. Okay. Well, thank you very much for the introduction, Julius. The question, of course, where we start, and it's also a question which we received already from participants um, who registered on Eventbrite. Because you said already you started 13 years ago with your blog. That was totally not obvious. Today, everyone has his own personal blog. It was not obvious. Um, so how did, you, how did you get started? How did you had the idea? You thought one day I wake up and I'm going to start, I'm going to start with, the, with the blog. How did, you, how did you get up with the, uh, with the idea? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, you know, it's uh, actually, I wouldn't agree that it wasn't obvious at the time because blogs were pretty cool at the time. So there, it was the thing, like, you know, you would start an Instagram account or a TikTok account today with the hope of becoming an influencer. Uh, that was blogs back then, uh, even though we didn't have the word influencer back then. It was more, um, you know, this is a way you can use to... Uh, create a living and become uh, sort of independent and uh, have your voice. Um, and and uh, yeah, I, I actually started with the idea that I could um, make a living out of it. So that was my plan from the beginning. I, okay. I didn't want to share my voice or um, you know, be heard or share my feelings. You know, at the time blogs were more diaries of your life. So it was a lot of personal blogs of people you know, sharing their um, day-to-day, which seems crazy today, but that was the only platform. We're talking pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook, uh, if you're very old saying it. Um, so, you know, that, that was the way, the only way 
um, back then. So that, that, that's uh, um, how they got popular. And then as soon as like a few years went by with blogging, you know, vertical blogs started to sort of uh, come up, vertical meaning on a very specific subject. So you would become subject expert right there and you would, um, you know, start to create your own niche and, and uh, talk about a subject with specificity. So um, yeah, at the time um, I had a clear intention in mind to, to make money blogging um, and, and start, started like that. And I quickly realized it was almost impossible to do it. Um, and um, you know, very, very difficult. Um, you know, you would rely on Google AdWords to pay you um, two, three dollars per month. <laughs> you quickly make the math and you say, this is not gonna work. So um, you, so it means actually, so from the start, uh, because also a question that we received from participants is that you already had directly, I would say a growth plan from the start. So it was not something that you, you started already with, I say you had, you had a real plan, a real strategy behind to start, to start with your blog. Yeah, I, I wouldn't call it a plan. It was more of an intention uh, that I had, uh, you know, it's more like I would uh, uh, cite, uh, quote, uh, Mike Tyson, right? That says, you know, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. So that was exactly what uh, happened to me in my plan of, uh, you know, uh, make, make my, I started like, um, you know, I started a blog about events because it was the only thing I could talk about. I was very fascinated by the intersection of um, technology and events specifically, you know, um, social media was coming in um, right then. Uh, 2007 and therefore I was very uh, fascinated by how things like Twitter may impact um, events right so I was having heated conversations on the fact that hashtags were going to be the next big thing in events among the skepticism of a lot of people around uh, so you know these type of things I was like super sold immediately on the power of technology and social media to events and you know coming into the events industry back then I didn't even know the event industry back then. I, I had some experience working in pharma as uh, in marketing uh, for, for them. So very limited experience, uh, you know, my own uh, sort of uh, entrepreneurial type of, uh, of things as a sort of a, a teenager more than anything else, you know. Uh, and then, uh, but you know, I had a passion for it. And everybody says like, if you can write 58 posts about something, that's your topic. And the only topic I had was events and um, intersectional events and technology and started to write about it. Um, you know, you can still go back if you're very curious and see the first posts that I started writing as ramblings of, um, you know, someone that could speak very limited English at the time. So, you know, not even my uh, close relatives could read me. So I was like very pretty much talking to myself uh, back then. And uh, yeah, I guess it's been a learning uh, experience after that. Yeah, because it was interesting that you said learning curve because there are a lot of people today. I mean, a lot of people want to become, want to start blogging or want to become an influencer also within the meetings and events industry. Now you have been working at 13 years. You started as a blogger. Um, what kind of advice can you give to the people who are listening today who want to start uh, who want to start with um, uh, with blogging? What would you well, I'm not saying what you need to become the biggest influencer because um, they will we'll talk on later what actually um, 
to become a clean influencer, but what do you need? What kind of a tips and advice could you share from your uh, 13 years career um, to all the listeners um, today um, to, to start with blogging or to, uh, or to become, I would say, a, a blogger? Yes, of course. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try, I guess. You know, there's, no, there's no fixed recipe for this. Uh, and uh, um, I guess, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's been different waves. And I see, you know, uh, people like Lena here that have very, very successful blogs, um, you know, in, in the industry and have been able to sort of, um, sort of cross the chasm to a certain extent and then make it um, a little bit more structured. What I would say is that... Um, if, it, if we were talking in December, I would have discouraged you to start a blog right now because it's tough. It's tough, especially with big companies, um, you know, event technology and non-technology suppliers, um, you know, sort of joining the uh, content marketing bandwagon and creating a lot of content um, and, you know, investing millions and having very structured teams that do content as they would be a bloggers slash uh, content media people, um, you know, there's there's companies out there that, that do a lot of that. Um, so if, if we were having this conversation December, January, I would have said, you know, try something different, go on different platforms, you know, YouTube, uh, you know, um, YouTube. I'm, I'm yeah, very interesting, excited. interesting how the world has converted actually yeah. has been totally yeah. transformed. So now we are living in, in COVID or um, and hopefully soon past COVID-19. Uh, um, so now you look at from actually from a different uh, different perspective. So you I mean do. now you would encourage people to start, I would say, to start blogging. Big reshuffle um, happening um, in terms of everything. You know, all the rules that we used to have are not there anymore. So there's a lot of uh, opportunity right now. There's opportunity for a good quality research in-depth content. There's no time for chit-chat. There's no time for your personal experience as much as you think it's important. I, you know, if you want the honest sort of editorial perspective here, you know, I'm very, I'm very well known from with the people that have worked with me in the past of not known, not being necessarily uh, the easiest to work with on an editorial perspective. Because, you know, I see it as it is, because um, at the end of the day, um, traffic interest and information to event planners is what counts and the rules you know are dictated by the market sometimes it's just the voice of those rules so you know personal experiences not really you know like who cares there's, there's we care about yeah i care about me as a reader and what's in it for me so if you're able to give me, uh, you help me, even through your experience at that stage, but if your experience I can relate to and you make it uh, uh, valuable for me, I can relate to that. So there's a lot of space for that. There's a lot so of space. So you mean adapting the content towards your specific, I would say, to specific target audience because yeah, you can make it general. So you would say choose a niche and write it for that specific, um, for that specific target audience. Correct, and it's gotta be it's gotta be useful. It's gotta be valuable. Like you know, when when you write something, you gotta ask yourself: If someone is reading this, is it gonna be is it gonna be worth their time? Like, what are they gonna do with it? Like, yeah. what, so what is the critical action? to yourself? I would say so. Be critical to the content that yourself that you are creating. If that if that's if that's good enough. And that's an art. I get it wrong so many times. Like even today, I, I get it wrong. Like there's articles that I'm so pumped about. 
so excited about and they get like 100 clicks and I'm like, oh, you know, and there's articles that I thought it was just, you know, whatever. And we got 40,000, 50,000 clicks on it. So, you know, it's the, there's completely different perspectives uh, of what the understanding, what triggers the audience is probably the cleverness together with persistence. Persistence is probably the one uh, item that, you know, number one way to understand an influence. This, is, this applies to all influencers, not whatever content platform you use, whether it's a blog or YouTube or whatever. If you give up, that's it. And I've seen so many great voices giving up for the past 13 years that we need, in, especially in our industry. Um, great voices that, you know, they just got a job offer and say, whatever, you know, I'll just get the job, which is fine, you know, you have yeah, to understand, I'm not saying it's wrong, but, you know, it do, does require a lot of belief and persistence. Um, okay. I think that's a good advice, especially now. I think where persistence is even more important than ever, where we live in very challenging, I would say, very challenging times. I think uh, persistence is, uh, yeah, is I would say is is very is very needed. Um, another question that came actually um, before before we started with uh, with the session is, um, yeah. Um, tips and advice, I would say, for um, boosting personal profile and how to position yourself as a thought leader in the meetings and events industry. Um, yeah. Because a lot of people uh, think they are a thought leader, but to become, I would say, to become one, what are, how do you position yourself and how do, can you work on your personal brand to become, I would say, to become professional and seen as a thought leader? That's interesting. I was, I was chatting with you on a lesson just right before uh, we started this. And I said, you know, uh, I got a warning. I have very, very, so I'm very strongly opinionated when it gets to you know, uh, the, the concept of influence and what has become today. Um, so um, I think, you know, everybody, depending on their industry and whatever they work in, there's different ways of, to go around about this. So you said two things. I think they're they're completely different. One is being a thought leader and one is, you know, raising your personal brand. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I'm not an expert in raising my personal brand. I think I'm pretty suck, pretty bad at raising my personal brand. I'm not an expert in that <laughs> um, at all. Like, you know, I feel awkward whenever I have to take a picture of myself or uh, putting a picture of myself on Instagram or whatever. Um, you know, I tend to take, you know, stock pictures from events I talk to. Uh, I, I'm not an expert in that game. Uh, I know there's... But still, a lot of people see you as an example to create your personal profile because otherwise they wouldn't have the questions. So, so it's interesting how other people think about... How other people think think about you. But, um, but well, because, yeah, then go to the question about how to position yourself as a thought leader. I mean, you, you started 30 years ago as your blog. Um, mm -hmm. And now people uh, ask you, uh, now we're also here on this chat, um, because people see you as a thought leader in the meetings and events industry. And I think people also appreciate you because you have that strong opinion. And I think we need that also. And I can say that as a Dutch, because we're also very known for, for our open opinions. And I think oh, yeah. we need that. I think we need those. I think we need more Julius people like you have that strong opinion and, and say and say what they think. Um, yeah, to, to, to move forward. Yes, the, the, the thought leadership part is the one I'm interested about. I can talk about that because it's, uh, I think there's, there's no secret sauce for that. Um, you know, for me personally, I, when I joined the conversation about the event industry, 
Um, everybody has their own opinions and everybody has their own take on stuff, especially today when, when people share things on social networks and everybody's very opinionated and polarized. Um, I, I like facts. I like research. I like, um, you know, spending hours of my time searching for an answer to um, questions that um, have been backed up by either research that whenever there's no research, I do the research, um, you know, so that's kind of been my go-to tactic to create like value. You know, nobody cares about opinions that everybody can have, you know, and sometimes there's people that are just, you know, they're just there because they're ahead of something and they share their opinion. There's complete crap, you know, who cares about it? Like, what is the data that you have to support that? And, you know, you will find that whenever you challenge people, especially in our industry, that it's so, uh, for some people, it's so, I was so frustrated in 2007 that, uh, you know, a lot of people thought that this industry was about centerpieces and mini burgers and stuff like that. Uh, while I thought there was a much deeper meaning uh, to the reason mm -hmm. why uh, we uh, create events and connect people, uh, that it's about change and it's about impact. And it's about great things. So mm -hmm. you know, I navigated away from all this glitziness and stuff like that to find the truth and find the, um, the research and the data that could help event planners make informed decisions. And this is what I've been concentrating on from the first day. And even today, uh, when I go on a YouTube channel for um, someone that is, you know, in their 20s and they do, I don't know, a YouTube channel about nutrition, for example, and they show me that they've done hundreds of hours of research to create that, that video, I can so relate to that. I can so immediately connect to what they're saying. That to me is the way you become an influencer, period, especially if we're in B2B. Um, when we're talking consumer, you can still take pictures of yourself next to a product and get a million likes. That's not the game that I play. I play a different game. So, so it means, um, so for all the people who are listening, so you would suggest indeed, uh, so do your uh, thorough research uh, up front. I saw also a question coming up. Um, can you give any tips? How do you do your research? Do you have any I say, specific, I say, specific sources or any... Um, I would say specific channels or, um, or you just put it, I would say, just put it in, in Google or, um, um, because it's interesting because a lot of people share their opinions and share their thoughts on, on, on Twitter. You say, I, I do it, um, I do it, um, um, with research and data. So it would be interesting that people can learn from you, um, what kind of data, what kind of research you have done to come to these facts. I feel that even when you voice your opinion, a well-researched opinion is very tough to go against. So that's mm -hmm. why sometimes I kind of like, I feel confident to write an article on, you know, the state of the industry, which is mostly about opinion. But within that opinion, I throw in a lot of data and sources that kind of, you know, make that opinion bulletproof to a certain extent. And also try to reflect different perspectives as well. So your questions about research, so there's probably two, three ways I do research. So first of all, we're lucky that we have a big pool of event planners we can uh, talk to. You know, we just did uh, a research on the impact on coronavirus and the use of virtual events, uh, you know, which got a thousand people participating in it in two, three days. So that's an incredible wealth of data that uh, immediately sort of helps us. So but you mean you ask your network, you ask your the people who are following you for their 
to sharing their um, insights and to have, say, have the data. It's kind of privileged to a certain extent because you kind of have to have some statistical significance. And if you have like 20 people participating in it, yeah. uh, I would question that. So um, I believe that you have other ways when you don't have access to large networks and large number of people, which is by um, observation. So you can go and do research on websites and tweets and all this public information that is out there, you know, reviewing stuff, uh, stuff you know, with it research on you know, event websites, for example, by looking at 400, 500 event websites. You took the time and spend the time looking at 500 event websites. You know, that's, that's, what you, that's what, how you create something valuable. It's not like mm -hmm. spur of the moment, let's take a picture and put it in there. You know, it's lots of work uh, to come up with something structured. So, um, and we've been doing that for a lot of our events. We looked at sponsorship packages for 600 events and created sort of a, a breakdown by industry in terms of what are the most popular sponsorship items to give you an idea of how, and this is public information. You don't have to do anything. You just have to spend the time. So there's a lot of information out there that can be collected in a very smart way uh, for people that don't have the time to go for okay. that. So you're saving a lot of time to a lot of people that way. Um, and there's value in that, I believe. I think, okay, um, yeah, the, the, those are the two ways I would recommend. Okay, perfect. Well, today we also talk about, of course, B2B influencer marketing. And one question that came up actually from, from Sabrina, which was actually a great, a great question. If we talk about influencers, who do you consider yourself as influencers within the meetings and events industry or even, or even beyond? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, or perhaps I, uh, we should first go to the definition, I would say, a definition of influencers because everyone has a different i would say different perceptions also about influencers slash thought leaders um so perhaps you can give your opinion because you said i have a very strong opinion about that <laughs> you should share your opinion about influencers in general and then who you would consider as influencers yeah yeah the influencers i follow follow are thought leaders so they're leading yeah. they're, they're people that express their thoughts and they're they make a lot of sense and as a result they become influencers so they influence other people to follow them to share whatever they say to um, follow their advice so uh, i believe that that connection for me in terms of i spent a lot of time thinking about this i have a sort of wide perspective of how things are happening i have a lot of data points that i look at daily so i'm able to influence you because most of the times you will see that the things that I say actually become true because they're based on facts in most mm -hmm. cases. No, they're not based on projection. Let's let's look at you know what the future of the event industry may be or you know crystal balling. You know, I'm not into that. I'm more into you know these are the things that I look at. So thought leadership that becomes um, influence. I like that a lot. So people that I look at um, Obviously, our CEO um, for Skift, Rafat Ali in travel, I believe is one of the people you want to follow, yeah. you know, in terms of, and, you know, one of the great things about Rafat is that um, he's, uh, uh, I knew him before joining Skift uh, and being acquired by them. Uh, I knew, um, I followed him online. And the, the funny thing is that once you work with him, He's exactly like exactly what he says on Twitter. He says in Slack uh, within the team. So it's a, you're getting exactly the same thing, which is another great uh, quality, I believe, of, of people that really are genuinely dedicated to 
share the best advice possible. There's no double game. There's no like, oh, I'm going to say this to get more tweets or going to get more. Yes, there's no facade. So you mean transparency? People yeah. are the same way. If they're online, they're also offline. So yeah, Rafat um, at Rafat on Twitter. I would definitely recommend him. Um, then you know, um, I, I follow people. Um, you know, the people I respond to um, quite a lot in our industry. I, I, um, I always have great chats with with Karina uh, from IMAX. I believe she's a great leader um, in our in our industry, um, and um, you know, uh, an industry that lacks um, shockingly lacks uh, women uh, leaders. Um, in a sense, you know, not that they are not there, it's just they don't get a voice. Um, so, you know, I, I believe that, um, you know, following more people like Karina is um, definitely key. Uh, and whatever, you know, she posts about something, I'm always obviously following whatever IMAX is doing. I believe it's a great um, community and she's a great uh, influencer in the way um, she communicates stuff to the, um, to the industry. Then, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, for whatever is happening about um, social, I follow Yuina, who's here on the chat. I always keep an eye on the things that she's doing. Um, you know, uh, I believe that she did a tremendous job to came out of uh, nowhere. And I know how tough that is. And the dedication and perseverance um, um, deserves a lot of credit. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that don't come to mind right now. Um, you know, I follow, I try to, to be outside of the industry as much as I can, um, you know, personally. Um, so right now, my top influencers, I was talking to Sabrina about it um, earlier um, yesterday, uh, are epidemiologists right now. So I follow them, you know, crazy, in a crazy um, uh, sort of addictive way almost, because they seem to be the only ones that are grasping the situation right now among the confusion of different countries and different mm -hmm. okay. strategies yeah. and different everything. So all of these people are very, um, uh, they have a lot of influence on me right now. Yeah. So um, it means also in general, you look, I would say, so you, you use your inspiration and your research in general. So you look to thought leaders within the industry, but also outside of industry. And you also have a very, so very diverse, um, a diversity of people um, from men, women and everything, I would say every, everything in between to get to get the re i say a real vision and yeah reflection mm -hmm. of what's of what's going on okay. for sure okay. yeah okay but, great. Uh, contamination is always great especially if you're trying to bring value to a very sectorial unit if we're talking b2b and you're very specific bringing in contamination from the outside well researched and making sense of it for your industry it's always a good practice mm -hmm. yeah. Um, we're talking also about digital marketing and influencer marketing. You, I would say, I won't say that you started, but you were a really early, early adapter with with starting your blog and and starting with um, with digital with digital marketing. And now suddenly, influencer marketing also pops up. How do you see um, influencer marketing and digital marketing now, especially now in these challenging times that we're living now? How do you see that actually evolving? In I would say. In, in the near future, what is actually your, your, your vision about it? And we don't well, have any data, you don't have, I haven't done any research or data yet, but if we can have your, uh, your opinion or your vision on that. 
I guess, I guess there's, a, as we said, there's a lot of opportunity for sure right now, since, you know, there's, there's a big shake-up of, uh, you know, the traditional establishments. So um, there's a lot of need for uh, guidance and clarity and, uh, you know, very well, uh, you know, very well researched opinions on stuff. So there's still a lot of, uh, there's great potential for um, to rise up right now. Um, you know, TikTok is a perfect example that allow, you know, in the stupidity or maybe some of the, you know, probably things that I cannot relate to, I can relate to the fact that people are going to a medium to relate uh, in a time of crisis and they're changing their uh, usual patterns of consumption from Instagram or whatever to a new thing because there's need for something new. So that type of behavior is what I'm interested in. So there is a, other than the specific tool and their applicability, which you have to evaluate for your audience, I believe. Mm-hmm. But there's a need for something fresh. There's need for something new. There's challenges as well. If you say you are a travel blogger, there's challenges right now. Yes. <laughs> that's a that's lot it. of challenges, yeah. Um, yeah. Within the industry right now, there's a lot of need for strong voices, for voices that um, talk sense out of a lot of confusion. You know, you have to think that, um, you know, the way the industry, um, our events industry has been impacted, it's uh, seismical, is disruptive, is, um, you know, devastating. Uh, So there's a lot of need for good guidance right now to go out and create something meaningful and valuable, whether it's support, whether it offers relief, whether it offers guidance, where it offers, you know, um, support, whatever it is, there's need for it. And you have attention, which with event planners right now, it's crazy. It's impossible to get their attention because they're always so busy doing stuff. So we have to chase numbers for a lot of time. Now you have the opportunity to have big, huge, like any virtual event, even the crappiest one gets hundreds of people to show up. So you have an opportunity there to create something meaningful to use that voice, which is so difficult to get right now to create something meaningful. And this is not just events. There's a lot of different sectors that need that clarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but thank you for the advice and the inspiration, actually, because I think a lot of people are in, they see you as a role model and then inspired. So it's good to know that you're giving that inspiration also towards us, that there's still a need for, um, yeah, as I would say, still a need. I'm I'm looking virtually to to Alessia now, who has collected actually the some questions um, some questions in the chat because we have passed the, the say the 30 minutes. I still have a reserve question also from from Eventbrite, but it is more events uh, related. Yes, yes, we have two more. One from Irina. Uh, what's the biggest challenge of proving the value of your channel to sponsors? when they prefer investing in traditional trade shows and the sponsorship opportunities at the trade shows? Well, you know, it's, it's tough to say, um, you know, because I'm, a, I'm obviously an advocate of uh, face-to-face and I believe that, you know, the value of face-to-face is, is paramount and cannot be touched, especially right now where there's a lot of event planners that feel the threat of the virtual events and all of that. I, I believe, you know, the value of face-to-face is there to stay. And, you know, said that, there's better events and there's worse events. Um, you know, so there's events where you spend the money and you get the bang for the buck. And there's events there where you don't get that. And, you know, honestly, it's very easy to win um, sponsors when, you know, they have spent money in a trade show that didn't bring them anything. 
Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, we've seen time and time again budgets being shifted from trade shows that didn't deliver to, to us or other online media. It doesn't have to be us specifically. But I've seen that change. And that usually, it's, it's so immediate. That changes as soon as a digital native, someone that has any understanding of how sort of lead generation and online marketing, digital marketing works, comes in and they look at the results that they're having with some investment in their event strategy, uh, and they see that it's close to zero, they just cut it and go somewhere else. So but that's not to say, you know, some trade shows have been growing exponentially because they do so well in delivering that value, right? So is they just like the, whatever is not working, as soon as someone more analytical comes in, that organization, you see the media switch uh, and they immediately contact you back, uh, even if they decided to divest from you years ago and go back to a trade show, uh, you know, because there was more traditional way of looking at things. Thank you. And we have one question from Yaroslav. Does writing a blog in your mother language make sense? You narrow your audience and on the other hand, the blog is a clear audience for potential partners. Be first in your market or just another among many others globally. What do you think about this kind of strategy? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a very solid strategy. I mean, yeah, if you want to plan to do this for business and you, know, you want to do this to make a living out of it, you've got to have a plan today, a better plan than my plan when I started, which is usually um, you know, who's, who's going to be the people that are going to pay your bills, right? Who are, who are going to be the companies that are going to pay your bills? You have a list of the top five, six companies that potentially can notice you and, um, you know, engage with you in something that it's uh, you know um, commercial um, so if these companies are local and there's an opportunity locally uh, yeah absolutely why not and especially if there's no competition you know it's like it's almost like i got the same question when i get contacted by event technology companies that are starting an online registration product right in 2020 can you start an online registration product can you do it globally it's going to be close to impossible because you're going to be you know completely trashed away by people that have billions of dollars to invest in this. So I'm not realistic. Can, do you have an opportunity to do it locally and create, you know, in your country, something specific and then be acquired by someone that is bigger than you? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, creating that national voice uh, actually can open you up to a lot of international opportunities after a while. You'd be amazed. So it's actually a very good strategy, I believe, especially when if there's a lot of noise a lot of people doing the same thing in English, um, you know, tough to get in, high barriers to entry. Go where it's, you know, where it's, uh, you can be, um, you know, your leader uh, and it's easier to get there. So there's no shame in taking the easy path. Absolutely no shame. I am actually a, a fan of that and I've took the easy path so many ways. I mean, I was the only one, if not Corbin Ball, we were like the only two talking about event technology for six, seven years maybe before everybody started to notice. Mm -hmm. Because you said it also before in the conversation, uh, uh, adapt your content towards the uh, target audience and find your niche. So indeed, if we all go in English and you have a better potential in your, in your country, makes uh, makes sense. Alessia, I think we have... No more questions, no. No more questions, then I no. have the last question. who came actually from Eventbrite. You actually already respond to that, but um, um, if you had to choose online or offline events, um, 
which one, which do you prefer and actually why? Yeah, you've already um, said it um, said it already, but I think a lot of people who are here now on the call also desperately have, I would say, have all, we all have skin hunger, I, <laughs> I would say, at least I have. Um, um, so I think you already said it, but um, yeah, it's nice oh. to hear, I say, your, your vision also on this. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, you know, it, it is a trick question for sure, uh, in a sense that, um, you know, nothing, nothing will ever replace face to face. And, you know, I, I reinforce my religious affiliation to live events forever. So um, there's not in, uh, in question. But I was talking to you about this before we started the call. And, you know, a lot of people want to go back to things as they were. Uh, do we really want to go back to things as they were? Uh, do we really want to go back to the event industry we used to have in January? I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. We were at the hype of uh, the experiential, experience-driven um, marketing, and everybody was pushing money into experiences. Fantastic. But do we want to really go back to uh, an event industry that has not been diverse, has not been um, representative of minorities and women specifically that compose 77% of the industry, mm -hmm. uh, uh, led by white males uh, in almost all of it. Um, and um, do we want to go back to an unsustainable industry? Do we want to go back to an industry that doesn't use technology to include people that cannot make it? Um, so, uh, you know, welcome the change, welcome the disruption to that effect. And if you've been laid off, you lost your job, um, you have a lot of time right now to strategize on how you're gonna, you want to be part of a new industry or you want to be part of the old thing. Uh, if you want to be part of the old thing, let me tell you, things are changing quite, quite fast right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we're going to get rid of a lot of, we're going to trim a lot of fat, I believe, right now, of stuff that we didn't accept, you know, unnecessary travel for, you know, a one-day meeting. Um, you can connect by virtual. We, we know that now, right? A lot of event owners that were exposed to malpractice from venues and suppliers that trick them into contracts, pay incredible fees, F&B fees, travel fees. You know, a lot of people would just turn to virtual because, you know, they don't want to be ripped off. So all those people that have been ripping off each other on both ends, um, hopefully we'll get rid of them and uh, we'll um, invest in an industry that is new and changed and diverse and sustainable and technology driven, data driven, that actually creates change instead of getting together and get drunk. <laughs> well, I think the, especially talking about diversity, of course, I think also here, there are a lot of women actually today online and um, I've spoken also with Sabrina and many others of women who are also on the call today about the, the diversity and I think uh, we live in very interesting times and I would see also um, um, a bit of, I would say, a bit of change uh, on that point uh, within the industry. I'm not going to in the entire, I would say, in the entire discussion, but I think the entire industry and the entire world has been disrupted. So, and hopefully it will be for the better. Sometimes yeah. it's good to have it shaken up uh, sometimes and where, um, where we lose some people, but hopefully we, uh, the best will, I would say, the best will, uh, will continue. Um, we have now about 40 minutes. I have, my questions are all up. I'm looking to Alessia. If she has any questions, no? No, no more okay. questions also from me. Then I leave it actually up to Julius because we have still a few, I would say a few minutes. Is there anything that you would like to share with all these, I would say 
passionate event professionals, um, influencers, thought leaders. Um, I would say, is there anything else that you would like to share from, I would say, mm. from your personal or professional journey um, since you started uh, blogging with us that we haven't, I would say, that we haven't discussed um, until sure. now? I believe, you know, finding your voice, uh, finding your um, opinion, whatever that is, and uh, truly committing to that, um, never let down your voice. That's probably the most important uh, part of the game. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I've had times where I put the blog on the side, you know, and we, we I kind of took a real job as well. We're talking probably 2009, 2010, you know, I was posting once a month, that was it. And then, you know, um, someone within the industry came to me and said, you know, we need your voice. You need to come back blogging. I was like, okay, um, so I'll give it a go. Um, and, uh, you know, I actually opened the business in 2010, 2011. And, you know, I said, you know what, I'm going to give it a full try. I'm going to dedicate 100% myself to this. Um, you know, I asked my wife to quit her job as well. She quit her job. Uh, I didn't ask her, actually. She did quit it by herself. And so, she's working. So it means that was actually your wife was your first employee then? <laughs> yeah, she was, she was definitely. I, I was more her first employee, I would say, rather than everything else. Um, you know, she's, uh, I was, she's the boss. So honestly, to be honest, like, I, I'm not a good, um, uh, I'm not necessarily a good business person. I'm, I'm, well, she's be, great. I've spoken with her. I mean, she's a, a real, I would say, an inspiring example also. If, I mean, she's also the driving force behind event manager uh, blog. Huh? Way more than, than, than I am, you know, uh, making things work and looking at the business sides and partnerships and stuff like that. You know, because you have the, you know, the tendency a lot, you have to, partner yourself with someone sometimes that actually understands the business side of things uh, better than yourself. Because, you know, I get carried away by the dedication and the excitement and the passion and all of that. But at the end of the day, you're going to pay the bills as well. So, and there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, free opportunities in the industry. There's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of that, but that doesn't pay the bill. So, you know, having that mindset as well has helped me a lot. Um, and having someone that looks after that while I can dedicate myself to be creative to a certain extent, um, that's, that's important because creative people don't necessarily, are not necessarily the best business people. So, uh, you know, if you feel you're, you're the creative person, uh, you know, side yourself and, you know, it can be within an organization, within an incubator, within whatever, uh, shared office space, whatever it is, virtual shared office space, if it's the case, to side yourself to someone that, does understand the business and you know then it's persistence and you know there's going to be extremely tough times uh, extremely difficult times when you don't know whether you know we've had so many times like that we'll just i'll just short since we have one minute i'll tell you what what happened last year so last year um november um and you know i don't usually share this but um november 2018 actually november 2018 we were in the process of, um, you know, talking to someone to acquire us. And, you know, we were about to um, sign uh, the deal and the deal went off at the last second. You know, it was already done, already um, confirmed and everything else, you know. So big blow. Uh, in, the, in the same time, um, there was a lot of uncertainty in the market. We didn't have renewals for sponsors. Um, we come in in October until January. And at the same time, I lost two key employees 
together. So all together in three months. This is probably the worst pressure you're gonna have in your life, especially if this is your family business and both of you work together. Super tough to go through, but you know, um, nine months later, we sold the business. We did the best year that we ever had in 2019. Um, so, you know, things, things change. This is the persistence part that a lot of us give up way too easily. So, you know, you gotta have a skin in the game if you wanna make it. Yeah, we need to create a, a bigger, I say, a larger elephant skin to and be more and be more uh, persistent. So thank you for sharing that um, personal insight. I hope that all the people here on the call had some, got out some nice ideas and, and inspirations. And thank you so much uh, for joining. Last week is our 10th edition. It will be our last edition and will be again at, uh, at 3 p.m. Um, where we have Tom Augenthaler, he's a specialist in B2B influencer marketing together with David Wing, where we share, where we go more inside about sharing B2B influencer marketing case studies. So thank you so much all for joining and I would say um, see you next week at 3 p.m. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Bye.